shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough whoa, winds whoa, whoa, whoa. do shake the darling but Josie. What? What? It's not Shakespeare in the park. Wait, we're, but, but we're gonna talk about the White City and the Devil in the White City. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey everybody. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Sometimes we have a little fun with our intros. Sometimes. But you didn't even let me get to the best part. It's okay. Do you want to finish? No. Everybody go read Shakespeare. It's great. (laughs) You can recite it to Uh, us if you really, really want to. I'll let you. uh, Later, later. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to say, or I would like to say, I guess I could say long time no talk, but we've been talking... And recording a lot, so I don't know if I can say that. We've we have uh, skyped three times in a week, so yeah, four in two weeks because we did another one. What like two weeks ago from around today? I know. I feel like we're kind of spoiling ourselves with each other's presence. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we deserve it. You're welcome. Um, how? <laughs> yeah. Right. How are you? How is summer life now that school's officially out and you're into your first week of no school? Um, fine. We really haven't done anything. Like he and I just hung out today, and he went over and played at the neighbor's house. And what did we do yesterday? Oh, he had a birthday party yesterday. That was like almost all day, and he did that. So it's just Ooh. kind of been kind of a low key week. Next week we have swim camp. And then there might be the one the following, like another camp the following week. We're trying to decide if that's what we want to do or not. We'll see. Dash really wants to do it. It's at the aquarium. I mean, who doesn't like to spend the day at the aquarium? Right. Eric was like, but that's two camps back to back. I'm like, but the kid wants to go. Right. And if he's learning... And it's at the aquarium. I never got to do camp at the freaking aquarium. Did you? No. Oh, because we didn't have one. Right. <laughs> we didn't have one. I played sports in the summer, so I didn't really do a lot of camps. I mean, even like sports camps and stuff like that. Like, like I didn't do any type of camp until... I got into high school, and then I got into all-state marching band a couple years, and I had, like, band camps, not the type of band camps people think. My crowd crowd I hung out with was not those type of band camp people. That's what Um, she said. (laughs) (laughs) um, I did not know any flute players in band camp. But then, I mean, honestly, it was just, sports and that was kind of it I really I mean when I was a kid at like Dash's age my mom would sign us up for um well swim swim lessons and then Mm -hmm. 
sometimes the the county would do stuff. I remember there was like a dinosaur dig camp one year, and like there so there were some other like little, but they were just day camps and stuff. And then I went to church. Yeah, camp. I went to church camp like two or three times, not a lot. But like, yeah, we had we had VBS every, but that was yeah. like a day camp, and it was one week. Yeah, like, towards the end of the summer. So like all of his camps have always just been day camps where like he can go and socialize and learn some things and I can maybe get some stuff done uh so it's yeah I mean I guess if you call it that kind of camp I guess I did I mean I definitely did swim lessons yeah we I remember a couple summers I did like tennis I played softball like every summer for years I think I did a volleyball did I do a volleyball camp one year I mean, I did some sports stuff a couple times. So, like, sometimes I did stuff, but most of the time, you know, it was just swim lessons or stuff that was, like, in town. So, it really wasn't um, away. Yeah. And it wasn't someplace cool like the aquarium. No way. I couldn't even get anything cool in, like, Casper until I could drive. Right? And Casper's not that cool. It's kind of cool now. Like, they have the... They're downtown. It's getting way way cooler. (laughs) Yes. Well, they're downtown. I I call that the downtown is having a renaissance. Casper downtown Mm -hmm. is having a renaissance, so... Oh, yeah, um, totally. So, I'm... They're building a new life down there. It looks great. It's been really cool going back and seeing it. Yeah. I'm excited to go back and see it this summer and let Dash play at the new Splash Park down there, and it'll just... It'll be kind of fun to see him. Yeah. haunts so you know um, show them where mommy used to work <laughs> at the movie theaters yeah but I can't show them where Eric and I met because yeah. Apple, Applebee's closed I know that's sad you can tell you can show them the spot be like this is where we met but you can't go inside we're <laughs> closed Applebee's closed. You used to be able to get mac and cheese there, kid. I want yep. mac and cheese. Not anymore. <laughs> Tough. Too bad. <laughs> Suck it um, up, kid. Right. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. So, I did something incredibly stupid. <laughs> I would love to hear what this incredibly stupid thing is. So, I've been needing to take my trash out for a couple days. And it was not anything, like, gross or anything like that. So it was just, like, I took some of the old, like, I took my loot crate boxes and I kind of, like, condensed it down to one. So I had the big boxes I had to throw away. I had um, gotten some of the Vans Harry Potter shoes. So I had, like, one of those shoe boxes to throw away. So I just had, like, big stuff, but it's been kind of piling up in my kitchen and I was like oh I'm gonna go throw all this stuff away so I finally took my trash out and I noticed that one of my prescriptions was completely out and I was going to need to replace my my stuff for today and I just picked up my uh my prescription last week and I changed my purses out so I was like oh I must have moved my prescription and I couldn't find it in the new purse. I couldn't find it in my old purse. And I was like, oh, this is really crazy. I've lost my and then, 
Then I look in my backpack, and then I look in, like, my bathroom, and then I'm, like, I looked at the place where I, like, usually stick it in my kitchen, like, on this little thing where I put all my mail and stuff like that. Right. Couldn't find it anywhere. I was freaking out, because I was, like, if I lose this, I'm going to have to pay for it out of pocket, and I don't even know if I'll get another prescription. Right. Because it's a monthly prescription. And I was freaking out, but it's something that actually helps reduce my migraines. Oh, yeah. So I was like, yeah, I was like, this, I am going to die if I can't get this. Right. The panic, the panic is setting in. Didn't even think about it. So I didn't realize that the two things would actually relate to each other, but I started retracing my steps around my apartment. And in my panic, I realized ding, 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 what if I accidentally threw my prescription away? So at 11 o'clock last night, I had to go to the dumpster in my alley Sorry. and pull out my trash bag and look through my trash. I like, (laughs) first of all, I was like, I swear only this would happen to me because this stuff only happens to me because I'm a freak. Luckily, the trash can was mostly full, so my bags, when I put them in the trash yesterday, were, like, on top. That's nice. (laughs) But I did throw out some food from my refrigerator that I had to, like, pour some stuff in the trash can. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to dig through this. So I took, like, the rubber, like, dish gloves that, like, go up to my forearm, (laughs) like, halfway up my forearm, And I'm, like, digging in the trash. And the whole time I'm walking out there, I'm like, okay, if you see somebody in the alley next to the trash and they see you digging, be ready to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm totally panicking. I think I threw something. So I'm, like, making up scenarios in my head of things that could possibly happen if somebody sees me digging in the trash. (laughs) Did you find it? I found it. I had just, like, finished Roxy's cat food bag. So it was, like, under her cat food bag. Oh, nice. Just sitting there perfectly by itself, just, like, boop, right there. Nothing had spilt on it or anything like that. That's good. So I grabbed it and just threw my trash back in the bin, and then I just ran into my You went and hid inside your house. I did not. I did not do that. I so, was, like, I cannot believe I did. I have never thrown away a prescription or anything like that. And yeah. I was, like... In full panic mode, I was like, I'm going to text my friends and be like, what do I do? I've never had this happen before because, you know, I'm a child and can't answer anything for myself. And (laughs) I was just like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? It was so funny. And I just found that. And then I was just like, this is completely ridiculous. You totally handled that by yourself. You handled that like a pro. You got this. (laughs) So So, I was like psyching myself up because it's like, no, you totally got that. You're awesome. (laughs) We have, well, I, I have a dumpster diving story. I, and I don't know if, if we told you about this and this is good. So this cut care, um, this happened right before my wedding and Next week will be my uh, 15th wedding anniversary. I can't. 
I cannot believe nobody, that. Nobody saw it, but I just flashed like 15 at her with my hands. Because I, like, I don't remember. No, <laughs> just joking. Yeah. I was in the wedding, so I re- totally she, remember she it. Totally it remembers. was my day. It was my day. It was all about Josie. <laughs> but, uh, but so next week, when this comes out, so this week for all yeah, the listeners, it's my wedding anniversary week. And, um, but around, I think it was probably the beginning of June. I had pulled out my mom's cake knife that she used for her wedding and she and I had discussed it. Mom, can I use your cake knife? Can I get it engraved with Eric and my name and our wedding day? Just like you have it on yours. And she's like, yeah, that's a great idea. I pulled it out. I put it on the the table. And then when I went to go get it like a, a day or two later, it's gone. Oh, my gosh. It's not on the dining room table anymore. And my mom apparently had gone through, like, a cleaning rampage. I'm not sure what exactly happened. But I know the table wasn't what it was like when I mm-hmm. pulled it out to to, um, to get ready. Because I was going to clean it. I cleaned it to take it to the um, the engraver. And that's why I had left it set out, too, because I yeah. wanted it to dry. And I get, I go back to look for it, and I'm like, Mom, where's the knife? I had it out. And she's like, did you put it back? I'm like, I didn't put it back. Did you put it back? And, like, we're asking me, my dad. I think we call my brother, who does not live in the house anymore. <laughs> like, we're all hunting for this, um, this, my mom's wedding knife. And my parents had been married um, 40 years that like that summer would have been 40 years so this knife is like a 40 year old silver cake cake mm-hmm. knife so we were just trying to be like i don't know memories and whatnot and being using old family heirloom type stuff and so i it was just it was a hot mess we can't find it and so my dad and i go out to our dumpster and we had like a big communal dumpster like it's four four houses for a big dumpster where mm-hmm. my in my neighborhood and our old neighbors they like to think that that dumpster was only their dumpster because <laughs> there were times where they'd be like you can't put your garbage in there and I'm like my parents pay for this too Right. You know, and I was just like, whatever. And so my dad climbs into the dumpster. He's handed me what we're pretty sure are our garbage bags. <laughs> and we're going through them. And our neighbors come out and are like, what are you doing? And we're like, go away. I mean, we didn't say that, but we sure felt it. Right. And we told them, like, well, we, th- we threw something away. We're looking for it now. Or we think we threw something away. We can't find it. So we're looking for it now. And they stood there and just watched us. Like, like they didn't want us going there through their garbage. Not that I wanted to go through my garbage either. Right. You're like, this isn't ideal. Nobody wants to go through anybody's garbage. Right. And unlike you, in the long run, we did not find the knife. Oh, no. And my old boss kept going, Sheila, Susan kept going, Sheila, it's going to show up after the wedding. You know it's going to show up after the wedding. Oh, yeah, that's how it always happens. 
15 years later, that knife still hasn't shown up. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, I think, I don't know. I don't know where it's at. I, it it must have, we must have missed it, accidentally thrown it away. Or somebody, I'm not going to name names. Okay, I'm not going to name names. <laughs> <laughs> but it must have gotten thrown away, and then the trash came, and then mm-hmm. we, you know, it, it was unfortunate. It happens. Well, yeah. So I take the, like, that's what was, I was so thankful for is that I chose that moment to like switch my prescription out because I almost waited until today. And I don't know if my bag would have still been there if I would have waited till today. Yeah. And I was like, Usually when I when I finish it I switch it out immediately and I do it right mm-hmm. then and there so I remember right. it and I because I make sure I always have this on me and uh I was like oh my gosh what if I would have forgotten because I didn't switch it out when I took my last my last pill and I was just like what would have happened if I didn't switch it out yeah what like what would have the odds have been and honestly like. It was the last thing that popped in my head. I was going through my closet. I was tearing stuff apart. I'm like, I don't even remember walking in to, like, like my little entryway in my apartment. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe I put it in those cabinets because I have, like, that big hutch, like, yeah. right when you walk in. And I'm like, what if I put it in there? And I'm like, I haven't even opened those in, like, a week. Like, I definitely <laughs> didn't put it in there. But it was just the last thing on my mind was that I threw it out. I just could not believe it. I mean, I'm just glad it has a happy ending, but... I'm glad you got a happy ending. It was so... I know. I'm sorry about your knife. That's okay. I went to the, the jeweler and bought a new knife, and they engraved it for me, and that's how it is. Yeah, but maybe I mean, somebody else is enjoying the knife. Maybe somebody has a nice silver knife that says Elaine <laughs> and Alan. Yeah. August 29th. <laughs> okay so uh i'm actually gonna read the facts for harry potter today harry potter yes and i got them from pottermore um we're gonna we have three one's longish not super long and then the other two are pretty short so um and this is uh they're basically similarities comparisons of Neville Longbottom and Harry Potter. I think it should be said that I noticed I said that a lot in the last episode. Anyway, we there was a long list and we chose our yeah. three favorite. There's yeah, a there's, lot of comparisons between them. Yeah. We chose our three favorites that we wanted because there were some that were like everybody knows those. Yeah. And some of these you might know. You might and know them. Okay. You might not. But we felt it's like fine. they kind of fit with our our books that we've been reading so yes yes okay so they both felt like they didn't belong in Gryffindor in the beginning Neville battled self-doubt as regularly as Harry and after Malfoy hit him with a leg locker curse he was close to tears believing that the sorting hat had made a mistake not too long afterwards Harry became convinced that the sorting hat had made the wrong choice with him too when he found he could speak parcel tongue, traditionally a Slytherin talent. 
And then they both shared briefly a name. Harry wasn't keen on Stan Shumpike knowing his true identity, so he nicked the first one he could think of. Isn't it interesting who he chose? It is interesting if you think about it. Yeah. And like, then I would never be the first person that pops in his head. Exactly. And then, sorry, I have to scroll for the next one. Those two are next to each other. Ah, here. They could both see Thestrals. Harry and Neville had both seen death and, as a result, could see the Thestrals, unlike many of the others at the school. Those were good. Good. I always liked Neville. I really glad. I was really glad his character was redeemed at the end. And right. That big moment and. Yeah. How he grew. Yeah, Neville. I think has always been one of my favorite, like, secondary characters or like sub characters. Yeah. He's a good character. Yeah. Him and Luna for you. I know. I love Luna too. <laughs> <laughs> um. Awesome. Thanks, Sheila. You're welcome. So this is our part three of the three-part series to end our first season for our little summer break. Um, So just as a reminder, um, our first book that we read was The White City by Grace Hitchcock. And then the second book we read was The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. Yep. And we did separate episodes for each of those books. Uh So if you have not listened to them yet, that's now is a good time to listen to them. Or if you've already read one of them and you don't know if you want to read the other one, then stick around and listen to our comparisons. If you don't want to listen to them and you just want to listen to this, cool too. But you might want to go check them out just so you're all caught up but you don't have to. Yeah. Um, I I do want to say our our Instagram has been hopping with comments mm-hmm. about our most recent episode, which is the one about the devil in the white city. It, it is a fan favorite right now. People really, really love um, this book. They've really, really enjoyed this book. So if you haven't read devil in the white city, go read it. Yeah. Both of even- us. We're like raving about it last week. Right. We I mean, even it. on our on our Facebook page, um, one of our old college friends, she was telling us how much yeah. she loved that book and loves Eric Larson. Yeah. And I was telling her how much Sheila and I both loved it. And I was like, our episode, we felt like at the end of it, and I still feel this way. At the end of it, I still feel like we only compared or talked about like a quarter of what was in that book. We just so, didn't talk about. I mean, and that episode is so long, but it there was is. so much to talk about, and it was so good. But it's, it's a fine. Good episode. That, it's yeah, it's a really good episode. It was a really good discussion. It was very insightful. So now we just kind of get to talk about both books. This is very new for us. Sheila and I haven't done this yet, so we bear don't really us. have. Yeah, bear with us. We don't really have, like, our set agenda or script. We have um, ideas. Yeah, we have an we idea want to talk about. of where we go and ideas of things that we want to talk about with the comparison. But, yeah, so buckle up for 
an exciting, hopefully exciting discussion. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll no, be fun. I think like we even said after the Devil in the White City and after we talked about it, we were so excited to compare the two books. Yes. I'm going to go ahead and start the discussion, Sheila, by asking you a question. Okay. And I feel like this is one of the biggest differences between the two novels. Mm-hmm. And that is, how do you think the two authors tackled the story of the World Fair and H.H. H. Holmes being that one was fiction and one was nonfiction? Which I I, I do want to add that when we picked The Devil in the White City, neither one of us had really known. I knew it was a research book. I knew there was a lot of stuff into it. I did not realize it was a work of nonfiction. Right. Um, so I do think that both of us thought we were getting two fiction book like novels. Like, I thought it was going to be, like, more of a, like, historical fiction, but was very yeah. heavily fact based you know like based on characters because I know there's some stories out there whereas um the other book was definitely more like had a bunch of fictional characters and whatnot where Larson one didn't or I didn't think it was going to have any fictional characters if that makes sense yeah so sorry can you repeat your question <laughs> How do you um no that's fine. How do you think the the two authors handled the stories with one being fiction and one being nonfiction? I think they handled them really well. Um so with White City, you could tell she did a lot of research, but after reading his book and I don't know if she read his book and that was like an inspiration or if there's just there's other inspirations. I don't I don't, I need to go back and read like her footnotes, you know, saying like what her um, where she got her research from. But I feel like he definitely had a lot more. Mm. Uh, not, not Obviously had more facts in it. I mean, it's a lot longer, bigger book, but I I. I feel like while she had the research and stuff, like she just, it was just there. Whereas like he dived into it and he really dug deep. Mm-hmm. Hers definitely intrigued me. His like satiated me. Like I felt content with all the info he gave me. Yeah. Some of it I did want to go look up a little bit more on like some yeah. info about the, the giant Ferris wheel and, and whatnot. But but yeah, like I felt like they they both did a good job with what they were both doing and what they were both going for. Yeah, definitely. I I completely agree. I do feel like her her research that she did is definitely evident. Um her use of the research was more just kind of like fillers. Yeah. Like, to the story, like, a means to the end of the story she yeah. wanted to tell. Um, which, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Oh, for sure. We both, yeah. we both still really enjoyed her, her book. Yeah, his, like, you, it just was drenched in research. Yeah. And he even said at the very beginning, he, I mean, he was reading memoirs. He was reading... Journals, he, journals, newspapers, letters. like everything. So he 
I didn't get a chance to look this up yet, but I do think I'd be really interested in seeing how long he actually spent on this project. Like, just researching the project before he even decided to tackle it. And I kind of imagine, like, one of those scenes in a TV show where the detectives have, like, the cork board, a huge cork board. Yeah, yeah. The string attaching everything (laughs) like this goes up to here and then down here. I just imagine his work board being like that, where it's just this cross of wires all across this giant walled cork board to make sure everything made sense and timelined. Yeah. Um, I do. I want to touch real quick. I do feel like she gave us a, a different view of Chicago that like he focused mainly on like where Holmes is. How? Uh, castle was or hotel was and then where um the white city or the fair was whereas Mm -hmm. she like i i could i could envision like where uh, you know where her her family lived and where percy lived um like so she kind of gave bit more info on like some of the other parts of chicago that larson definitely Mm -hmm. didn't touch on yeah, because her, the main character for her, Winnie, mm-hmm. she lived about a 20 to 30 minute carriage ride north of where everything was at. Right. So they lived north. So it was definitely a sense of better neighborhood, better living. An up, upscale um, life. Yeah, a little bit more upscale even though they didn't live in, like, the big house that was their aunt's, they still lived in that neighborhood. Um, her, yeah, her image of Chicago, I found it really interesting because her image of Chicago to me in my mind was this grand fair and then some crime happening. yeah. And then it was, like, her lazy street. So it was very safe feeling. Yes, it was very safe. safe, For sure. Um, Whereas Larson definitely painted... The darker picture of Chicago. A darker picture of Chicago, of the fair, of the area. um, The impression of Chicago from other cities. Yeah. It... It had a, a much darker feel to it. Well, where, and like, he, grimy. It just kind of felt grimy to me, like reading yeah. about Chicago. Like knowing Chicago, living here for 15 years, 16 years. It like I've never felt like the the city's dirty, and like reading it, I was just kind of like it just gave me a sense of like a dirty city. Yeah. Well, a lot of the which towns but, back then they were that you know. It was well, just, right, and there, I mean, he, but he also talked, like, the district that they were in, it's, like, a lot of slaughterhouses, a lot, they yeah. were, like, near all the factories, they were, like, near all of that stuff, so it would be, Dirtier. it would be like that, yeah. Yeah, well, she, um, and, and one thing, like, he, he talked about, and it was, it was a big kind of deciding force in his book was the, the economic collapse that we talked about mm-hmm. before, whereas, like, her book, like, there was nothing about it Mm-mm. um so it was, that was kind of a big surprise for me like when I you know we had read hers and like everything just sounded like everything was great there you know 
You don't have to worry about anything happening besides H.H. Holmes. And right. And and that's fine. It's just one of those like things that kind of caught me because I would think that that would be kind of a factor. Right. I mean, you definitely, you still get, even in the white city, you still get the sense that the city is a dangerous place. Like her father mentions having to bring on extra task force and like creating special task force. And she knows that there's theft and kidnappings and stuff going on. It is done in a much lighter way, and it's not the point of the book. The -hmm. point of the book is, essentially, after reading both of them and thinking more about it, the point of her book is a love triangle and a a strong female being able to be herself in a time and place when she necessarily couldn't be herself. It was hard to be, definitely. Yeah, it was hard to be herself. After reading both of them and being done, and now that we're like, okay, now we can actually talk about the comparisons of them. Mm -hmm. Do you think we read the books in the right order, or do you think we should have flip-flopped them? I think we read them in the right order. I do, too. Well, I keep going back and forth with it. Part of me feels, well, because the reason why is because if we would have had all of that Chicago history, I I knew some of it. I didn't know all of it. Right. Part of me feels like, man, if we would have had all that history and then read this other one, it kind of would have been cool to see, like, the filler of all that other information in yeah. this book but then what kind of draws me back from that is part of me does kind of think that if we would have I don't think I would have enjoyed the white city as much as I did if I would have I don't really want to say this because it's not what it really is I think if we would have read it in that order it would have felt more like a fluff novel yeah I was gonna say I was it would almost make me feel like I tainted myself for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I got all this amazing info from Larson, and then I went and read her book, and then they're just, like you said, it was kind of a fluff. And we talked about how it's an easy easy fun read. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think, I do think we read it in the right order, because I think if we had read it in Larson first and then Hitchcock's book... I think we might might have just been like, oh, I mean, it was enjoyable, but mm, meh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, at least reading them back to back. I feel like if I would have read The Devil in the White City a long time ago and I would have had the idea of it. Yeah, probably. Like, remembered maybe not every detail, but, like, the majority of it. And then I read this, like, a couple years later. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, I'm fine with that. Yeah. But not back to back, yeah. Like I, I think, already, I already know the story. Yeah. So it's like just a different version of it. Yeah, I was kind of going back and forth, and every time I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, but what about this? And I was like, mm, I don't know if I, I would have been as happy. I, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of going back to like the fiction, not fiction, just a tiny second. <laughs> I thought. 
when we started this idea that it was going to be a lot easier to compare a male author versus a female author on the same Mm. subject. And I was thinking, oh, it's going to be really interesting. It's probably going to be like a male heavy, like protagonist, probably like a female protagonist. Like I was really thinking it was going to be a lot more comparable. Right. In that sense of like one for one. So the fact, but now that it's, one was nonfiction and one was fiction. I did find it interesting still the different takes that the authors brought to to the story. Yeah. Even in um I had wanted to talk about this when we talked about the Devil in the White City and then it just never came up in the conversation. There was a part in The Devil in the White City that made me chuckle really hard. Mm-hmm. And it was Burnham used to write letters to his wife. Right. All the time. <laughs> his wife, Margaret. <laughs> I'm wondering and, if it's the same spot I might have, ch- or that I'm thinking of right now. But go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and no, I hope it is. But it made me laugh so hard because. He wrote her almost every single day, if not right. every single day. He wrote her a lot, if he could. And he... Um, he was in a very stressful point, if if I remember correctly. Very stressful point. And he wrote her a letter demanding to know why she had why not have written you, him. Why have you not written me every day like I do? Yeah. So. I've written you every single day and you haven't written me hardly at all. And, and um, so her response when she sent a response was she sent him a four-leaf clover. Yeah. Which I was like, oh, she totally knows what to do. Like, but you know when she got that, totally. she was probably like, she was like, oh, Daniel... Right. Oh, Daniel, you need a you need a break. You know, like yeah, you're just stressed. You're <laughs> overworked. And so it was really funny because I felt like there were some tender moments in there that he could have hit a little bit more to show yeah. that more. Mm, I don't even know if this is the right word. I'm like show that more human side of who he was. Like yeah. he wasn't only a businessman. Ferris was not only a businessman. Mm-hmm. It was his wife who was encouraging him like no, go yeah. back there, submit your stuff again. And I felt like he could have probably added a lot more of that in there whereas in her book and I mean we did talk about this where it is kind of technically a romance right um or it has the word romance like in the list of genre of like everything that it is so you do expect there to be a little bit of a love story but it is funny to me that she romanticized the whole scenario much much more than Larson ever did um I think that's also coming from a place of research and coming from a place of storytelling not that I don't think not that I don't think Larson was trying to not storytell it was just a different version of storytelling well and like his was romantic in the way of like how amazing the white city looked 
like yeah that's what his romanticism was was just like the the vision of it all he was able to make you really see what it all really really could have looked yeah his description of the fair was so incredible it almost felt like you could be in the fair yourself yeah yeah she wrote lovingly about the fair but it was only a couple little things it wasn't it wasn't as ornate and and detailed as his was yeah which I think also goes into the level of research she probably researched enough to get the scene and get what she wanted out of it whereas he was like no this is going to be the full story of this fair we need to know the whole story of these two men yeah so I I'm a little sad that there's we're not able to do more of a male-female comparison of, like, two fiction books and, like, their take on it. Right. I kind of feel like it would be a little unfair to compare them because they were coming from two completely different places. Right. Um, Just with the fact of it being nonfiction and fiction. Yeah. But he definitely had a way of weaving his words together more fluid almost to really sell the experience. Yeah, I agree. Of the whole thing. Yeah. Buffalo Bill, the costumes that they wore. And we raved about the costume (laughs) she wrote about in her book. And it was like, I do feel like she may have done that a little bit better than him. Maybe that has something to do with, she was probably a lot more into fashion. Maybe not now, but even probably as a teenage girl or not a stereotype or anything. But she's probably a little bit more into fashion than he is. So she was probably like, oh, this Victorian era, like, you know, going into the area like what would what would the women have been about because she talks about all of Winnie's dresses and much a lot of detail and yeah he he talks about the costumes of like the different people from around the world it wasn't like right this one person Burnham put on his top coat and his top hat and yeah they were this color right you don't don't need all that really care what the men were wearing and there really weren't any there there are women talked about which then you really like truly truly meet except for with Holmes and and in that sense you know they're all you know we know who they are but we don't know their attire because that's not necessarily really it's not really that important for this for his book the only the only time he ever really talks about like the fashion or like what people were wearing is when he's talking about somebody who's not American. Yeah, one of the or um, or Anglo-Saxon American, I should say. Yeah, because he he gives details a little bit more detail about the Native Americans from uh, Buffalo Bill show. Yeah, he definitely talks about all the different tribes that they brought in and what they wore and like the what Arabians. The, what they, yeah, the Arabians, the, um, there was a couple tribes, like, they talked about one of the African tribes they brought over and how... I think somebody uh, from the Philippines, wasn't there a Philippine? Or maybe it was Indonesia. 
Or Indonesia, and yeah. So it was somebody from somewhere the, right there, the where, Pacific Islands. Yeah, where he did mention, like, oh, they actually wrapped the fabric around and wore somewhat of a top. And yeah, they do. So he did talk about it in that sense. But, but that not, was all factual stuff. Right. You know, like it was it was probably right. written up like, oh, we we had to we had to hand the, the ladies some some handkerchiefs to cover their tatas. <laughs> right. And some other stuff, you know. And even when he talked about um the Native Americans or, you know, like the indigenous people, it was their headdresses. It wasn't yeah. really like anything else. Yeah. It was about you know, the, yeah. the, the full headdress rode the Ferris wheel and his well, full his headdress war attire. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that one, yeah. So I think you had a, a bit about how female were females were portrayed. Yeah. What what were your how what were your thoughts on that? Like how she portrayed um, females and how he portrayed females. Well, it's really interesting to me because in the white city, you get this headstrong, knowing female protagonist. She wants to help. She's smart. She's quick-witted. Right. She's very on top of it. She is not like all the other women mm-hmm. of her day. And so it was really interesting to me that many of the other female characters in the book were played so dim-wittedly. Um, even though they liked to read and stuff like that, it wasn't necessarily even that they enjoyed it. It was, that's just what the ladies of the time did. Right. They needed to get the new book, but they were about husbands and marriage and what they were wearing. And it was, even though her friend Danielle loved the books and could obviously loved to read, she was still very much like, nope, I have to get married. Yeah. And so I found it interesting that she would choose to make one character so strong when the rest of them were not really portrayed that way. Right. Except for Auntie Anne. She she was one who kind of, like, stood her ground. Yeah. But at the same time... If you look at her position with H.H. Holmes in his house, she was in a position where she could kind of be like that. Right. Even though that was her character and that's who she was, it was really a product of her placement for why she could be like that and not really much anything else. I don't know. It's really funny. I would definitely consider myself a feminist. I'm I'm not necessarily one of the one of the women who is, like, going to be, like, crazy vocal about a lot of stuff. I know some extreme feminists. I'm not going to wear, like, the vagina hat, stuff like that. I'll do women marches. I do that stuff. I believe in a lot of things that need to be changed. Right. Um, And I know a lot of people who are like that, and I love them dearly. But Mm -hmm. I do consider myself a feminist. I do look at female representation in a lot of pop culture things. Yeah. And... I know that this is a product of a time of women in a different place, but it was kind of disheartening that only one, there was only really one strong female character and it was only just this one person. Everybody else was very much a product of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, With that being said, it was blaringly obvious 
at the lack of female females in the devil in the white city yeah like there's i mean there's not many but i mean it's also part of me of the time right part of me feels like the research just wasn't there it's definitely a sign of the times you but even and i'm sure a lot i there was so much information on in the books or in that book that there's a great possibility that he had a lot of research about like the first like the female architect who actually yeah. got to create a building for the World's fair maybe there was intention to add more information and it was just too much information and they they were like all right this is, has to hit the editing room floor um but even I mean, honestly, all the females were just kind of wit- like written as they're just background. like a quick. They were a quick antidote to a situation. Yeah, the wives. The ones, yeah, they're the wives. They're the people that, that pass by. Yeah. Even in the section where I believe it was a princess that came over. Yeah, the inf- uh, the infantata. Yeah, I mean, she. She was definitely more. She was saucy. She, she was. Saucy. She was like saucy. slamming the wife of the hotel she was staying at. She. <laughs> I, I'm not having dinner they, with an innkeeper's wife or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm. She. This was a prominent woman in Chicago and in society, and she's like, I cannot believe I'm being subjected to eat with the innkeeper's wife. Yeah. And she went and did her social engagement and she's like, I'm done. I've done what I came to do. I'm going to yeah. go do my own thing. And she actually was one of the people who went to the Buffalo Bill show quite a bit. And they even had a little bit of a fanfare where Buffalo Bill goes up to her and like kisses her and stuff like that. And it was like yeah. this whole thing and like shocking and what whatever. Yeah. But even then it was just very much like a quick antidote of like, Oh yeah. And then this funny thing happened yeah. And knowing that, knowing the time and knowing that era, that was probably a lot more shocking and appalling to society and to people than what he oh, even let sure. up on. Yeah, yeah, and for so sure. And so that was that was a little disappointing for me. Yeah, I mean it's definitely there. So like with the White City, Grace Hitchcock, she she definitely had uh, you know a a very kind of coming of age young woman in Winnie, which is, I'm sure there were some of them, mm-hmm. but you thing is though, is moms, aunts, grandmas, they were all trying to reel those girls in because they didn't want their girls to be the wild child, you know? Mm-hmm. And so to have a child like that is very much kind of a, like, that's not what you want. And you're like, we got to nip this in the bud because nobody's going to want to marry her or. Right. And whatnot. So. Um, and she even, sorry to interject. She even has the aunt basically come right out and say exactly yeah. that. Yeah. To Winnie and her father. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's definitely a sign of the times with Larson. I'll be honest, like going into it or, or after I read like maybe the first page in and I was like oh this is nonfiction. I knew that there really wasn't going to be much 
female wise. Um, you do hear about Susan B. Anthony and how mm-hmm. she's um, a suffragette. Um, and she beats uh, Buffalo Bill. <laughs> the part that stuck out to me. So they they did a contest for the women's building. And it had to be a woman architect or a woman mm-hmm. had to draw it or whatever. And this young woman, I think she was like 20, 21. She was really young. Yeah. Um, like fresh, fresh, fresh out of like school. And yeah. She's super young. She she wins and it was like a thousand dollar prize or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they were paying all these men like tens of thousands of dollars to do yeah, this. Yeah, she definitely got at least a tenth less than everyone else. <laughs> she got a thousand dollars, and that I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, yes, it was a prize, but again, signs of the times. But mm-hmm. like her building is almost done, and she comes to like look at it, and she finds out that. It's like a women's organization or whatever, but basically it was like all the really prominent women of Chicago mm-hmm. have come together and they're like, we're going to decorate the outside of the women's building with ornate ar- architectural designs. And it's not part of the architect's vision. Mm-hmm. And so then and this is where I'm like, oh, we're still the same people. They start mm-hmm. having these fights. Mm-hmm. The, the the young girl against these older prominent women saying, well, we have to have the ornaments. If we don't have the ornaments, then you're just snubbing your nose at all the um, the other women across the country that are sending ornaments to put on the building. This is well, the women's but, building. And right. like, they were really adamant about the fact that, like, they had to have a say in her building. And but it she wasn't was, even, like little ornaments like there was a lady who sent a door a carved like ornate door door like yeah these weren't to to be shown so some of them were little and some of them are huge and so she had every right to be mad because it's like when you make a painting or I don't know you make a dance or Mm -hmm. you know you choreograph something and yes and like you and I've been there with choreography class where like that just doesn't work. Try this. And it's hard getting, like, your your pieces torn down. But the thing was, was, like, it was never brought, this was never said, we want to do this. Yeah. She just found out that that's what they were doing. And I would be mad, too. Like, if I choreographed a piece, a dance, and then it was 75% different <laughs> on the outside. Yeah. Because they just decided, well, we like this better. That would make me mad. It's like, well, why did you bring me in? And she yeah. had a fit. Um, the the ar- architect, she had a fit. She even went to Burnham. And it says, this is what it says. And I I, I don't know if it's what, um, like, Burnham wrote in a letter or how it was um, where Communicated. Larson got the information. But mm-hmm. this is what... This uh, paragraph says, Hayden fought the arrangement in her quiet, stubborn way until she could take it no longer. She walked into Burnham's office, began to tell him her story, and promptly, literally, went mad with tears. Heaving sobs, cries of anguish, all of it a severe breakdown, an acquaintance called it, with a violent attack of high nervous excitement of the brain. 
Burnham, stunned, summoned one of the exposition surgeons. Hayden was discreetly driven from the park in one of the fair's innovative English ambulances, oh my God, (laughs) with quiet rubber tires and placed in a sanitarium for a period of enforced rest. She lapsed into melancholia, a sweet name for depression. Mm -hmm. So basically, because she had a fit, she got put in a sanatorium. And what's so frustrating about that is I'm totally that person who will just bottle it up, bottle it up, bottle it up. And then when I can't take it anymore, I'll just kind of explode. And then I'm so angry. I just end up crying. So then they think they're like, don't cry. And I'm like, I'm not even crying because I'm sad. I'm just (laughs) mad. Ah! And I always like you could feel her anger. And I'm like, man, I would have ended up in a mental institution so fast. Right. Well, and I just, I, I mean, and that's what they did. Oh, you're freaking out. All right, yeah. We're going to go put you away. And they were probably just like, this is why we don't have women architects. <laughs> why women don't do stuff. They have fits in their, in their it's minds. But their me, pretty little brains out way too much. They can't handle it. I'm, going to say 95% sure we didn't hear about her ever again after that I think maybe if we did it was just a passing of her name it wasn't I don't yeah I don't it remember. wasn't her directly it wasn't anything that happened with her I I feel like it was mentioned one other time and it was like Burnham there was a compromise made, I think, with the women with the ornaments where um, and I, I think, think that her, happens but I think th- or, or did, did that, that happen, happen before? I can't remember. I don't but there's know. But there maybe there was a compromise. I do not remember at this point. Um right. I, I like, felt like I head, felt like but. there was something where they would take some of them. I think Burnham after that was like, I'll we'll take some of them. We can't take all of them because that's when the one lady was like, But what about the door? Yeah, well and I think And then they moved there, them like inside. They yeah, there was it, they were yeah. like, we'll put it inside because it doesn't match, like, the rest of the, right. the white but city. Like, but that was, like, um, a third of the way through the book, and we basically never heard about Miss mm-hmm. Hayden again. I mean, um, even, even like, the, the women with Holmes, you get some story of them. That's probably yeah. where you get the story of the most women. Yeah. And even then, it's not usually very long. No, Emmeline. Is it Emmeline? Emmeline, um, I think. She, I felt like, I was almost like, this is, this is the swan girl. She, because, you know, she was kind of smitten with him. And then after a while, she was just like, she cut off her relationship with him and kind of ended it with him. And then, then he, he got her when she came to visit. Um, a friend at his place because she had a, a family that she liked to visit. Mm-hmm. But she was kind of, um, I felt like she was very headstrong from what Larson had written about her. I just mm-hmm. think maybe Larson just didn't have a lot of information on some of these these people. Yeah. To- I mean, even we hit upon it in the last episode where even before the fair was up and running and complete when they when people were just starting to move to Chicago it was just this whole idea that women 
were delicate. Like the like the police report that was put out, or I shouldn't really say report, like statement was put out where it was don't send in pictures, don't do this, don't yeah. do that. Not everybody that you meet is nice. And there was just a naivety to it. And not to say that the women weren't naive. I'm sure they were. Many of them were leaving their families and their homes for the very for first, first time. time. Yeah. And unless you got married and went to the other person's home, you just went from one home to another you there wasn't a lot of experience beyond that especially if you were a certain a certain class right I I didn't really expect a lot of women in Larson's but it was I definitely felt the absence of it yeah which you know he his writing was done so well that when a lot of the women were introduced or did have their moment, you felt what they were going through. Mm-hmm. Like you felt her breakdown. Everybody's been that mad. And yeah. it, just to think like, when was the last time you got that mad? And you could have just been like, all right, we're going to hospitalize you now. And then the whole thing with, with Margaret and, and Burnham, it's like, when was the last time some guy got mad at you because you didn't re- return the text message or right. you didn't talk to them with a, an amount of time? Like, it's still funny today when that happens because yeah, yeah. it's just not supposed to be in the character of a man to be the one fawning over the other person. Like, message me, message me, message me, message me. You message. haven't written me once a day. <laughs> and to be honest, I mean, I know they're married, but to be honest, most most females that I know, if they had a guy writing them a letter every single day, they'd be like, what is this psycho doing? Like, why is he stalking me? Well, I think that's a I know time. they're married. I know they're married, but it's just like, I don't know. It's just so funny to think about because it's like, it's, think- that's just what, part of what made me laugh so hard is that it's just yeah. not a time. Like, it is a different time and we're yeah. just in a different mindset yeah. where that was sweet. And I mean, like we said, Margaret was probably like, all right, he's just freaking out. I'm just going to send him this. Here's your four leaf clover. <laughs> Good luck. I love you. Yeah. How was the fair for you comparing the fair in both, in both books? Um, the mysticism of the fair, the two fairs. Hers was um, in the white city was, it wasn't as big to me. Um, mm-hmm. I I didn't realize how immense it was until I read Larson's. But I mean, hers was just kind of like it, it was it was pretty, I guess, like in my head. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. Like I'm like I want to go there. I want to see the World's mm-hmm. Fair. Then when I read his, like then I was like, oh, holy cow! This was this was way more than I had imagined with her story like just the immense size of the fair like you know just the 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 park in general and Mm -hmm. all the buildings uh because that that one building um the one that like fell down a couple times oh yeah like that one was just huge Mm mm-hmm like with hers, I wanted to go. Like I wanted to see it. His, I really wish I could have seen it in person. Like I, I would have loved to have 
been able to like see everything that was there and like the magic of it and all the beauty of it. I mean, they both did a good job, but he definitely, I think, showed it more than she did. Yeah. I feel like she... She created it in a way that you got the sense of the spectacle. Yeah. How grand it was. How fascinating it was. How intrigued people were to show up and be there. Mm-hmm. Larson put you there. Yeah. You were there. Yeah. You were there from the beginning to the end. You were there with all the collapsing and all the, like, how are we going to do this and all the meetings yeah. and, like, you felt it. Like, there was a point where you feel like you're building the fair with them. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, no, another thing happened. Like, no, oh, no, no. whether uh, now it's snow. It was just raining. How is it snow now? Right. Whereas her was very um, superficial. Yeah. It, you get the spectacle of it. You get to experience a ride on the Ferris wheel. Yeah. With her. Um Got to again, like, even with the Ferris wheel, though, with Larson, like, you learn the construction of it. You learn yeah. that the thing that actually made it run was miles away. Yeah. With her, it's just, what was the strange thing? Oh, this is a weird sensation. Yeah. Oh, like, this is this is what it is. We're all packed into this car um, or this gondola. Her, yeah, you're right. Hers felt very small. Like, I felt like hers was, like, a couple city blocks. Yeah. And then here it is. But, like, his was... Mile, like, a mile and a half or... Yeah. Like, like it that. was just massive. It's it was huge. It was its own little city. It was the, the actual just white city, like, putting yeah. it Yeah. Well, and I feel like she never mentioned that it was all white. <laughs> In the book. No. And I and mean, so honestly, I was kind of imagining, like, European-like um, buildings where, you know, like, some of them are, like, one's blue and one's stone. And, you know, they're just all kind of different colors. So I was, I was kind of imagining that when I read her book. And then when, like, in his book, they're like, well, what should we paint? What color should we paint all the buildings? And they're all, like, white. And I was like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah but even like like even with her like she um in the white city she has Winnie have a pass for the Mm -hmm. fair because she she knew she was going to go multiple times but I never had the sense that there were multiple gates to get into the fair yeah I thought it was just like one one set of gates that you go through yeah Almost kind of reminds me of like a zoo. A little bit, yeah. Like probably like ten turnstiles, and you like walk through. Yeah. Um, I had no idea that there was multiple gates around the whole thing for everyone to get in. Yeah. I also did not get the sense of control and privacy with her fair, as with Burnham. Like I didn't realize that they were so strict. 
with what happened inside of the fairgrounds. Right, like the, so the pic- Kodak like cameras. You had to, and- yeah, you had to take you had to buy permits to take pictures because the Kodak camera was just now becoming portable. Yeah. Um the one artist was trying to paint and they were like, you can't have that tripod in here. Because that was, you could have your portable camera. You couldn't have a tripod. Right. And this guy's like, it's an easel. <laughs> and they're like, no, it's a tripod. And he's like, no, I'm a painter. It's an easel. Yeah. And he got so hassled for painting. The only pictures that went out of there were ones that they basically were like, yes, you can have this picture. Yeah. They were um, very, like, you could, so... Charge you could bring for prints, charge for permit to have the camera. Or so you could rent a camera for like two dollars, and then I I can't remember what the film and everything was. Mm-hmm. And I think they had to. Did they have to be developed there? I, I think, think they so. did because they controlled the images that went yeah, out. Yeah, that's right. And then if you brought your own Kodak cam or your own camera, you paid t- a ten dollar permit. And basically, the reason they did the $10 permit for you to bring your own camera in was because nobody could afford a $10 right. permit. Right. I mean, but even even the use of the camera, they were right. like, they purposely made the prices of the cameras and the permits higher because they were like, only a certain person will be able to afford this. Yep. Because they didn't want a ton of pictures going out and floating around. They wanted to make sure... That they controlled all of the images that left that fair. They wanted it to look a certain way. Yeah, and only have certain buildings in it or have certain people or things or whatever. They were very controlling with it. And even the artist, he had to give the name of one of the people on the board and was like, no, this person sent me to do this painting. Yeah. To even be able to paint. And then by the time they stopped hassling him, he was like, my light's gone. Never mind. Forget it. But he, but the artist made a really good point that this was basically, yeah, he had to pay to get into the fair, but it was public space. It was public. He, it was just the same to him going into this fair as it would have been going to the park. Yeah. And he was shocked that he wouldn't have been able to paint. And they were like, what building are you painting? Like, what are you doing? Who sent you? Why is, like, why are you doing this? It was just, like, the 20 questions game. So ridiculous. There was some some joy that came out of reading about how grand the fair was. Yeah. Knowing the struggle to actually get it up and going. Yeah. So there was definitely a better enjoyment out of the fair for me from Larson's fair but Hitchcock's fair I was like okay I could get the intrigue I could see why Winnie would probably want to go there every single day and see everything how did yeah how did you feel about H.H. Holmes's character in both books there's definitely more detail in Larson's I mean which is expected and we learn more about his actual um victims that we know of mm-hmm. but his character like I I wasn't bothered by him too much in either book I felt like maybe each book kind of did their own justice for him you know say like I liked him one book over the other but how about you 
So, <laughs> funny story. <laughs> this was actually when Sheila and I were discussing some discussion points for right. this episode. We actually found out that we read Holmes actually completely different in both, like, yeah. in both books. I felt like Holmes in Hitchcock's White City was a little bit more jarring and manipulative, almost a little bit more dark in the day-to-day routine of everything. Mm. Um, I felt like she wrote him as, like, very harsh, um, which makes sense. He's a notorious but like, he did but killer. he was char he had a lot of charming moments but he was <laughs> he could flip on a switch you know what i mean like right i i agree he did because even when he met winnie he charmed her that's how she was like oh i want to go back but even with like the charm there was something that she even said about him where she's like he's got to be up to something because she didn't uh, really, like, buy the charm. But I also know that Winnie's, like, a different type of character. Like, whatever. I mean, she saw him take a woman before, so there's that on her. Like, Right. Well, she, she was convinced that she had. Yeah. Everybody else was trying to convince her that she hadn't. And she was just trying to figure out if what she thought she saw was actually true. Right. Whereas in Larson's book... I don't want to say he romanticized Holmes at all, because he absolutely didn't. Mm-mm. He he could have absolutely gone into way more detail about the murders. Um, he definitely painted him as a person who did these bad things, and he needed to serve justice, or be right. justice needed to be served for those bad things he did. But I did feel that he wrote him and comment. I mean, there were several comments from like witnesses when the detective was going around and like everything else. I feel like they made him out to be a lot more like charming and handsome, which I'm sure he was for that time, but almost made it made him a little bit lighter of a character. And I kind of wonder if he they if he did that intentionally in the beginning because then it was like, no, he actually did all of this stuff and this investigation happened and then like all of this stuff was happening. Like you get the idea of like murder and yeah. like from him from Larson's homes like right away. Right. But when, like, the witnesses talked about him, and it was, like, his beautiful blue eyes. Oh, this charming man. He was, he basically was, like, a snake charmer. He, mm-hmm. um, he was able to put the glitz on. And I feel like what I read in Larson's version, you definitely see that. And you can see that it flipped on the other side. But I do think that he wrote him a little bit more charming than than Hitchcock did. I disagree. I know you disagree. <laughs> so I, I and I don't I mean you and maybe it's because you listen to it versus like 
reading it. Reading it, it absolutely. And, and that might be it too. Um, Intonation, like yeah, interpretation, yeah. Because like, I don't know how to say it. Like, I never really felt like, like yes, they talked about how charming he was, and like how handsome he was in his blue eyes. There, there were always, like, people or uncles that had met him, and they were like, I didn't like him. I didn't like him from the get-go. Like, there there was that, those comments. But I didn't feel like it was, he was trying to make him overly charming or overly likable. Like, that never came out to me. It was just like, this is how he, this man was able to portray himself. Because everybody, you know, he's like, so-and-so said this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even though and then they they're like we had no idea he could do these or he did whatever mm-hmm. he did and so I think that just goes to show like how he Holmes was able to like kind of like hide his like his dark side but then there was like one part where I want to say it was um I think her name was Anne Annie uh Minnie's sister the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She um, trying to remember her name. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But she, like, he took her to his hotel first to to get rid of her, and he had her go into his like gas chamber, and then he just kind of sat there and was like, I don't know, like just stone cold, like. <coughs> no, absolutely, I'm. I guess what I'm saying that it's more like the comparison of like the people around them, not him personally, but like the people around him, like in the white city, it's Winifred's interpretation of him. It's it's Judd's interpretation of him. It's, it's what they feel off of him. And in Larson, it's, it's the impression that like from the letters, like what they wrote home to their, aunts about her or their grandmothers or whatever it was the eyewitnesses accounts it was it was the guards like he totally charmed the guards and had that like he was getting breakfast brought to him and he was getting stuff in prison that nobody else was getting yeah I mean he definitely it it was the impression that everybody else had of him that I felt like he played on like the charming and lighter side a lot on that he definitely, which is why I use the term snake charmer, because right. when he was by himself, he didn't paint, like, a really pretty picture of him. Like he, like you said, when he yeah. pushes her in the, in the thing, he, he even says, like, he just stood there stone-faced, like, yeah. no expression, like, just basically, like, okay, when's this going to be over? I got other stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know, like, I, I felt like he did show some of the, like, there are people that did not trust him from the get-go in Larson's book. Now, there's not as many, but they there was. Yeah. I don't know, like, I, I guess I just didn't feel, like, the a huge distinct change, like, or difference, like, you felt. Yeah. And it could be that I, it's because I listened to Larson. That could absolutely be what it is because you're reading somebody else's interpretation of the words or you're reading. And how they say it, yeah. You're listening to their intonations. You're not listening to it in your own brain and how it's said. And it's, 
I mean, we all know that people read text differently. Yeah. Um, so that could be absolutely part of it. I just felt like, like, I just remember even thinking to myself, I just don't ever think I've pictured Holmes as like the, I mean, obviously a narcissist, obviously like a psychopath, sociopath, like obviously all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. but like the other side of it, like I just never pictured him as somebody who could have been construed as like really handsome or prominent. And I know he, he did a lot of lot like lying and stuff like that. But I mean, in the last episode you compared him to a Ted Bundy and I felt like that was a perfect comparison because of the same thing, but it's even, you know, watching, watching different documentaries about Ted Bundy, listening to him. I mean, he did the same thing. Holmes basically did like write his own memoir, like write his own story of, like, be, I'm the victim in all of this. Right. And, like, all the classic narcissism of everything. You're going to make yourself out to be much more charming than you might actually be. hmm And so that could be part of it, too, is that this is, like, an interpretation of somebody's written word about this person. And right. a lot of his stuff did come from... Written word, yeah. The Well, the written word, but a lot of his stuff about Holmes did come from really super detailed research and his own memoir and Larson having to go back and actually compare the memoir to case notes and stuff like that of what he could find. So, I mean, maybe that was part of it for me also, but even in all this stuff, like with Ted Bundy, it's just like, you still have like the women who would go see him on trial. Like, you still have all of that side of it to where a lot of people to, to this day were like, no, he was just such, he was such a good person. He was such a good man or, you know, he's, he was just yeah. so handsome. He was such a sweet talker. Yeah. So I think it's just like that classic narcissistic sociopathic like personality of him being able to turn it on. I just had never pictured Holmes that way before. I guess so I had, could, I feel like, yeah. Other things I've read or seen about him, they did talk about how he was very charming and very considered very handsome for the time. So, like, I guess I just that never that wasn't something yeah. that ever occurred to me because I had always heard it that he was supposedly very charming and very, very handsome. And, and you know, people kind of like were drawn to him because of yeah. those things on top of the 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 things that he could do to make them feel charmed and liked and whatnot. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we'll agree to disagree. (laughs) Maybe we won't just wait. Maybe we won't agree to disagree because you just shook your head. No, you're like, no, I think we're like, we're agreeing. It's just, we're agreeing weirdly. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I still feel like we're probably disagreeing a little bit. Maybe bit. we were able to present our cases a little bit better to each other for more understanding. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Holmes, bottom line is Holmes is a creep and he creep. did a lot of bad things and he knew well, how to work it too to, to He be definitely knew how to work the system. He definitely knew like what to do and what to say. He definitely worked the families. For sure. It's really 
funny because they are like, oh, he could have killed hundreds of people, and maybe he did. I don't know if I believe hundreds of people just because of the amount of people that went in and out of his hotel. I feel like it could have definitely gone into, like, the dozens, like, plural, definitely. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if it would have been into the hundreds, I mean, maybe not, because I... Obviously, we weren't there during that time. Communication was much different. Right. But I feel like if hundreds of people would have checked into that hotel and never checked out, it would have sent up a little bit more alarm and more red flags. But maybe not. I don't know. But they had no idea what they were doing. The police. I mean... Police, but even... I mean, they had a task force, but they weren't ever, like... And we've kind of talked about this with, can you just imagine how bad it was in 1893 compared to 1970s and 80s for the Golden State Killer? Like, different precincts, they don't necessarily want to share information. Well, even if you're in the same area, but you have two, de- or you have one detective that went and talked to Holmes one day, and then you have another one went and talked right. to the other day. But none of them are sharing information about how there's been three or four girls. Right. And they they even said that they had hundreds of letters come in of like people who went missing. And yeah, so that's why it's that's why it's easy for them to say that. I don't know. I kind of feel like Mr. uh, Now I'm going to forget his name. Mr. Uh, uh, Pitzel, Mm -hmm. his assistant. I don't think he was probably as dim-witted as they kind of let him on to be. And I feel like if it was in the hundreds and he was assisting him, like, with all these trunks and doing all this stuff and doing all this, like... Oh, no. Pitzel was in on it. Pitzel knew what was going on. And everything, like... I'm pretty sure Pitzel knew what was going on. Like, he had no problem working. Because, like, in the beginning, like, Holmes like tried to recruit like a few people to do like not so good things and pistol was one of the ones that didn't really give a sh- give a shit so i mean into the hundreds maybe i don't know i mean we don't know how i mean I'm just, like, he probably so six months ish that the thing was the the fair was open he could have had a th- over a thousand people staying at his hotel. Yeah, but he was building his hotel. And people were staying in and it. And people were staying there, like, well before the fair was over. Oh, for sure. Because he was building it basically when they were building the fair. Fair, yeah. And or, even, like, before that. He was done with it. Yeah. Way before they were, because he had people, families living in it. Yeah, I mean, it was done enough that he already had people living there. I don't know, maybe it could be the hundreds. I just feel like it's a little unbelievable. But I do think dozens, plural. Oh, yeah. I, I think mean, there was I think there was definitely way more than the nine that they know of. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's definitely more than that. But we'll never know. Ever. The real truth. Until we, like, get to heaven or something. <laughs> then we might know the truth. We might, maybe. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. What else, Sheila? I do. Oh, there was, I think there was one more thing left on on my list. And this is, like, so vague. But I think we hit all the other points. Um, 
I did put on here like the light versus the dark. Um, and I meant that in the sense of reading the two books, both of them are about the fair, both of them are about a serial killer. The Hitchcock White City was definitely a lot more lighthearted. Right. A lot more um about like the love triangle and about other things and it's a little bit more fun. Yeah, romantic. Um a little bit of like hype and adventure, mm-hmm. nothing too serious. Um Eric Larson's Devil in the White City is definitely painted as a a very realistic representation of the time you get the feeling of the depression you get the feeling of the strikes you get the feeling of the rain and the snow and the weather and the collapsing buildings yeah the struggle of building everything it's a lot more heavy I feel like the city feels a lot darker in that one yeah Um, I agree I agree like all across the board not just like, with the White City, you get, like, the darkness from homes and, like, the crime yeah. and all of that, but not really anything else. Whereas, like, with The Devil in the White City, you definitely get a much grimmer representation of what it all is. What it was like and everything, yeah. Well, and even just, like, you know, they lost multiple members of their their team Mm-hmm. during that time due to illnesses and I mean they had two they had one well Root died of um pneumonia I believe a broken heart no I'm just kidding <laughs> Josie I think his wife was, was there. it was it was definitely like pneumonia or um something and like then that. it was he had Olm- gotten sick yeah then Olmsted's um second hand man died of appendicitis yeah um they had, like, some colonel that went to, was it South America or was it Africa? Um, and he I, died. He he was sent to go get a tribe. Of pygmies. Was South it pygmies? America? It I, must be I South America. It, oh, I think it was the pygmies. But he he passed away. He didn't He didn't survive. They don't know why he died, but he died. Or at least that's what Larson put in there. So, like, they lost that gentleman. Like, they just had a lot of death on top because, well, one, that time really was hard, you know, just to be healthy Mm -hmm. and to get care. And you have doctors who are doctors. African pygmies. African pygmies. Okay, because I was like, wait. Um, I was like, I knew it was pygmies, but... The battles that they had to fight, you know, just to stay alive because, Mm -hmm. you know, they they don't have the the medical that we have today. Right. I mean, and the mayor was murdered. And I mean, it was assassination. You have all the other stuff. I mean, it showed. I feel like I feel like it definitely showed like a more real life situation of what Chicago was like where the other one was definitely like you said was like lighthearted and I was like oh it's always bright and sunny in Chicago and pretty yeah you hardly got 
We hardly got any discussion about all the rain they got. And so... I don't think think it rained once in that one. I'm just... Maybe. No. It was just very beautiful in that one, in my mind's eye. Whereas this one, I I saw, like, how, how hard it was and how dirty it was. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It, like, everything, just the whole image. I think of her book, and I just, everything's just so bright and sunny. And I think of his book, (laughs) and there's just, like, a little bit of grime just, like, on the white city. Where it's, like, there's just a smudge of dirt where it can't be a perfect white city. Um, Yeah, it was... It was interesting to get both takes of it, though. Yeah. No, it was, I mean, it was fun. I liked yeah. reading both of them. And I, I, a fun way to, to do this, to have the two different books and to, to read them and see what their two vision, well, her vision, a fictional vision was, and what, you know, a more realistic, historic vision yeah, of it definitely, was. definitely, and it's also an idea of, like, you're writing for your audience. For sure. She's not writing to Mm-mm. men to be like, hey, listen to this story of this wild woman I I know. <laughs> She's not writing to those people. <laughs> no, she has and a different Eric audience, Larson for sure. Is just, I think Eric Larson is just writing to an audience where it's like, if you want information, I'm going to give you information. Yeah, definitely. Like, his audience, you know, he's like, okay, they're going to be interested in Holmes. That's what's going to draw him into it. And then yeah. he's probably, but then the rest of it is going to just pull you in. Like, I didn't realize, like, I knew it was going to be about the city or the, you know, Chicago and the World's Fair. I didn't realize how much information we were going to get about Burnham and Olmstead and yeah. Millet. Like I really, I and that was a really pleasant surprise for me. I, I really actually enjoyed learning about all these men and how they created this this city. Yeah, I I completely agree because even at the very end of the book, when they give the recap of all the different people and what they did, um, and ended up doing after the fair. Yeah. Like, even Buffalo Bill, like, I know what he did, but reading what he did, and, like, I was just yeah. like, oh, yeah, oh, listening to what he did. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he did do that. He did go build a town in Wyoming. I've been um, there. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, like, even, even the scene at the beginning and the end of the book of Burnham on the Olympian of, like, why he wanted to write everything down. Yeah you get a sense of his sadness and then you get kind of get a sense of like, man, these were just almost like at the beginning you get a sense of his sadness. And then at the end of it, you just get a sense of his nostalgia of it. Like that was just a great time. Like he looked back on it as this was hard, but man, that was just such a good time. It It was worth it. It was worth it. And like, we did something that no one else could ever do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed both of them. I had a lot of fun reading them. When I was thinking about the comparison episode, I kind of was going back and forth. Like, is it really fair to compare these two? Because they really are They're completely so different. different. Yeah. 
even though they're the same. But then it's also fun to just see the comparisons or yeah. like, see the similarities between them of of everything. And I do feel that you can see the research in in both, which is appreciated. Like she's not. Uh, Grace Hitchcock is not just going in blindly trying to write a historical romance yeah. fiction. She she did her research. She knew the mm-hmm. time. She knew the place. She knew she had done enough research on Holmes to yeah. know like all the key parts of yeah, what I was. Yeah, I want to say even in her notes, she said like she had read um or looked at like the blueprints or whatever that the police were able to make of the um the hotel before it burned down so like she knew how messed up that building yeah was like how he created it she understood all the like dead ends and the room with the trap door and and the basement and which you actually get more of a sense of the inside of that house from her than you do from him. Yeah, definitely. You definitely do. She, I mean, when he falls through one of the trap doors and she goes into the basement and she sees a room with the trunk with, you know. Yeah. There was one point where she went into the room that Minnie and her sister, or no, not Minnie and her sister, um, Emil and Julia. Yeah, her daughter or whatever, how... Julia and Pearl. Yeah. You know, she saw in the room, like, their trunk of, like, clothes, and she found well, the brooch. Well, and how the, the the little girl's doll was just sitting there still, and the... Yeah. And, like, Larson talked about, you know, how, like, the clothes were still, like, laid out to be put on for the next day. And it was a very similar kind of situation, if, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering correctly, for um, Grace Hitchcock's book. It was, yeah. You know, that room was very much, very similar, I felt like. Yeah. Yeah, so this was a fun project. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but a lot of it fun. It was too. a lot of work. <laughs> it was a lot of work. It was a lot of fun. Great, great picks. Me too, thanks. Hey. Yeah. So, um, we, so this is our last big episode until September, like, second or third, whatever that first Monday is in September, folks. Yeah. It's, I'm pretty sure it's the second. It is the second, and it's Labor Day, so. (laughs) Yay. Yay. So, um, our next episode will come out then. Just keep an eye out on our our Instagram and our Facebook will announce what books we're reading. We're gonna, in probably about a week or so, we're gonna put out another little, it'll be a short little pop-up thing and tell you our plans and what we have going on. Then we're Mm -hmm. gonna do some other little pop-ups throughout the summer. That'll be fun. Yep. And, and then we're gonna get back into, to talk reading and talking about books with all of you. Yeah. So, yeah, I we're really excited about all the stuff that's coming up. We're so excited. Yeah, we. I can't wait. I know. We have found a way where we are going to be doing more with Harry Potter. Yep. Which we are super excited about. Um, so that's gonna be one of the uh one of the pop ups that we do. 
we have some exciting things that are also going, we're going to have like some giveaways and Mm -hmm. some things like that. So we do definitely, even though we're taking a break, we're not really taking a break. We're going to be working hard and we're excited. We're excited about being able to step in and do all of this stuff and um, kind of get our feet back on the ground with timing and all that stuff. So I think it's going to be really good. Yeah. Yeah gonna be really good we're really excited for it um so please stay tuned for all of that we'll continue reading through the summer all of our little side projects and our side books so absolutely share with us like books that you're reading yes I always Um, love hearing what people are reading because I I always need a new book not really but I mean not really because I have like 15 I haven't read yet in my apartment and like 15 on my kindle I like new ideas because sometimes I look at my bookshelf or I look at my Kindle and I'm like, mm, none of these really call into me. Yeah. Not today. Not today. Yeah. Oh, I went through a phase of that like a month ago or two months ago. I was like, none of the books in my, in my Kindle or in my apartment were <laughs> reaching out to me. Sheila, what have you pulled from your bookshelf? I haven't. Oh my gosh. We have waited Till our third episode to have this conversation. <laughs> I'm still catching. Well, we just recorded. So to be fair, I finished Devil in the White City <laughs> on Friday, and, like and three City. days a day. And then we recorded that night. Mm-hmm. And then I've been editing and doing family stuff. So um, I, I haven't read anything. Um, yeah, I've, I, I have stuff that I need to read, but I will be doing that soon. I had actually mentioned to you briefly, I think, in the last episode that I have been kind of on a reading binge and a listening binge. Mm-hmm. So my list of books is actually really long. So in addition to The White City and The Devil in the Right City, I actually listened to the book before I knew by Jamie Beck. It was really cute. I read books five and six of the Witches Wind series, mm-hmm. and I've already downloaded the seventh. I listened to Trevor Noah's Born a Crime, mm-hmm. and it was amazing. I bet. And then I listened to this other book called The Memory of Us. It's on Kindle Limited. Before I knew the Witches Wind series and The Memory of Us, I all found on Kim, Kindle Unlimited. Awesome. I They were books that were like, hey, you looked at this book. Maybe check these out. Right. And I was like, oh, let me just see what this is. The Memory of Us was so sad, and it was so cute. And it was just about two people during before, during, and after World War II. And then I listened to the book, Have You Seen Luis Velez? And this was by Catherine Reinhide. I have read so many of her books. She's a fantastic author. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody's looking for books that are kind of like, will just like kind of grip you in your heart a little bit, but it's just like good human stories. Read, read Catherine Ryan Hyde. She also, I feel like the most popular book anybody's going to know of hers is Pay It Forward. Right. I'm just, I'm behind in life. It's summer. I mean, girlfriend, there was like, a long period of time where you were reading like seven books. So I feel like maybe it was just my time. <laughs> it's 
just catching up. Yeah, catching it was just up. my time. I should, but if like, you hopefully have... after this week, life will be. Yeah. Or after today. After today. Yeah. If you guys <laughs> want, like, a good kind of, like, checkout system, I think you should, if you guys are into Amazon, you should do that. Check out your local libraries for random yeah. books. Just grab some books. Go do it. Have fun. Read. Do it. Yeah. All right. So I guess other from our little random pop-ups, we will talk to everybody in September. Yeah, we'll talk to you then. It feels so far away, but it's only two months, and it's going to go by so fast. It's going to go by so fast. Yeah. So fast. Yes. So. So we will talk to everyone soon. Yes. So go crack a bunch of books open this summer. And thanks for reading with us. Bye. Bye.